Patrick Mahomes' ankle, Brock Purdy's luck, road teams winning chances in conference title games, and the energy of the Cincinnati Bengals. Those are some of the storylines I'll discuss and break down both conference title games as we get ready for Championship Sunday. The baseball writers elect Scott Rowland as a Hall of Famer. What? I'll get into all the particulars why he is not that. LeBron James's watch on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record is drawing near. When could he possibly break it? The Boston Bruins are on a pace for how many wins and points this season? And the latest in college basketball and what's happening down under as the Australian Open is coming to a close. Could you find another podcast that'll have all of this in one hour? I think not. That is why you're here. It's all coming up. But first, this message. Jay Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the Jay Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, creeping toward the end of January already, but not without getting my perspective on what's happening throughout the sports landscape as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even... As early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Quite a bit to dive into. Before I even get to that, I have another birthday shout out. As today is my brother Sean's birthday. My brother from another mother, Jerry Kuzman, Jerome Bettis, Marcus Smart, Rashid Wallace, 36, my man. May you enjoy to the fullest with many more to come. Love you, bro. And wishing you a very happy birthday. Quite a bit to get into. In particular, Scott Rowland in the Hall of Fame, you definitely do not want to miss that. And I'm saving that for the back end of this podcast because yesterday on TikTok, if for those who aren't familiar with any of my social media accounts, TikTok, the J Reels podcast, I had a bunch of people chime in yesterday. Thank you all. And I have to get back on all those and I will toward the middle of this day as Rowland becoming the latest Hall of Famer to go in with Fred McGriff and a lot of people We're pretty much in my camp as far as him not being a Hall of Famer. I'll explain every reason why for the Philly, Cardinal, even Red fan who was with the Reds for a cup of coffee there as to why he is not. And again, nothing personal, strictly business. So wait for that at the back end because that is going to be very entertaining, intriguing, and fascinating to say the least. But with the NFL... Championship games this coming Sunday, everybody's geared up, everybody's ready, everybody's pumped as we count down towards Championship Sunday, which is really, in my estimation, the final NFL Sunday of the year. The Super Bowl doesn't count. We all know the Super Bowl is a holiday, so to speak, and these two games is going to culminate in what will be the finale of the 2022 season, and there are a bunch of storylines One for each team, and then overall with the whole road team, how they've been able to win this game, or at least it seems over the years, and pretty much throughout its history, that a road team does come out victorious. Doesn't happen all the time, as we know. Just think back to the 2018 season, or excuse me, the 2019 season, for one, where the home teams were able to win and go to a Super Bowl. And I'll touch on that later, but for 
these particular two games, four teams, these matchups, and not in any particular order, but you have to think, number one, first and foremost, the biggest storyline going into the weekend is Patrick Mahomes' ankle. And as he said yesterday in his press conference that he's ready to go, and we're not going to really know until the first couple of snaps come Sunday night, 6.30 Eastern, on whether or not he's going to play the game, he's going to cut it out. This is for a chance to go to a Super Bowl. And as I mentioned last year, knowing that he had a bad second half against the Bengals in the AFC Championship game and wanting to get back at this team, he's lost to them three straight times over the last 13 months. I know I may have said 14 the last couple of times I've been here in front of this mic or behind the mic. And for Mahomes, you know he's chomping at the bit, ready to get after this team, to finally get over the hump, to get the piano off of his back, knowing that the Bengals have had their number And even if he's 60%, you know that's better than 100% of a lot of guys in the league. But with this ankle and how it's going to respond, and he says he's ready to go and it feels okay, but we all know once he drops back, once he plants, once he has to scramble, once he has to extend plays, that's when you're going to see for the whole world to watch how he's going to be able to respond in that moment or in those moments is what's going to be critical. Doesn't matter what happens now. Doesn't matter what happens even Saturday or he could Sunday. We could see him sprint up and down the field, but we're going to have to wait and see come game time, how he's going to manage that ankle. Because as we all know, and for those who've watched sports forever, high ankle sprains do not heal in a week. High ankle sprains don't even heal in a month. And there's a lot of people that can attest to that. Now, of course, I've never had a high ankle sprain, But I've had ankle sprains because I'm a runner. And I know what it's like to get your ankle in a divot and you twist it and then you're hobbling along trying to finish your mileage or your run or whatever. So I get it. Different set of circumstances. But it is not a comfortable feeling when you're trying to forget about run, just walk. So that is one that we're going to have to monitor throughout the course of the game because between now and then he could say that he feels 100%. But let's see with contact. Let's see with maneuverability. Don't know what the weather's going to be like. Who knows if the elements are going to play into this. So, obviously, we're going to have to wait until the curtain is raised on that game as to how he's going to perform on that ankle. That's item number one. Number two, sticking with the AFC, I wonder what the energy is going to be like for the Cincinnati Bengals. And, of course, it is the AFC Championship. They've been down this road before. They've been hot as a pistol. Think about this. Since the start of their playoff run last year at home against Las Vegas, they're 5-1. and one. Granted, the one loss, Super Bowl last year against the Rams, but here they are in a trajectory where everybody is trending and everybody is thinking that this team is going to go back to a Super Bowl based on what I mentioned just 40 seconds ago about Mahomes' ankle and being able to navigate that throughout the course of a game to where if he's going to be compromised, chances are it's going to favor the Bengals to win this game. And we know how the quarterback of the Bengals has played Throughout this stretch, Joe Cool 2.0, everybody knows how, whether he's rattled, whether he seems to be under duress, we saw that in the Tennessee game last year, nine sacks, trying to scramble, trying to be as elusive as possible. Now, granted, nobody's going to confuse him with Lamar Jackson, but he does have his capability. He is able to extend plays. He is able to get out of the pocket. So he's the type of guy that even throughout pass rush, blitzes, etc. He's able to stay in the moment, stay calm, and not get frustrated, not get frazzled, and for six playoff games, he's won five of them. Granted that he hasn't won the big one, but you know he's going to want to go back to get that opportunity to win the whole thing. But as far as the energy is concerned, when we look back at the beginning of this postseason, how it all came down to the situation with the coin flip with Baltimore, if they would have lost that final regular season game, how It was 50-50 on whether or not they would host that game in their building. The whole scenario regarding the Buffalo Bills, hope you get your refunds when the talk was the neutral site game for Buffalo and Kansas City, if it were to be that. Obviously, that's not the case. And with how they performed in that game last Sunday in Buffalo, them being pretty much a juggernaut, shutting down that Bill offense, jumping out to a 14-0 lead in the snow, on the road, this team looks like they're impenetrable. But now they got to come back with that same energy because that team that's on the other side 
that building, that fan base, who has seen every one of Patrick Mahomes' playoff games. I mean, think about that. They're going to have to do it one more time to get over the hump to show the world that the Bengals, for back-to-back years, are looking to be AFC champions. I think they're going to come with that energy. Why wouldn't they? They have the utmost confidence to play against that quarterback, against this team. But you would think at some point throughout it all, the Chiefs are going to be primed, ready. I'm sure they're going to try to come out of the gate. And remember, in the game last year, they came flying out of the gate. I believe they were up 21-3. And I want to say right before the half, what was it, 21-6? Because if you remember, that's where Andy Reid got cute. And they had that one pass play, I believe with five seconds left in the first half, where Mahomes threw to Tyree Kill as a bubble screen and got stopped there by Eli Apple. And they couldn't even kick a field goal because time ran out. Even with them getting off to a big lead and Mahomes shrinking in the second half, which was something that we've never seen, can you expect to have that happen a second go-around, even with Mahomes on a gimpy ankle? Obviously, we'll have to wait and see, but I think the Bengals will come with that same energy, but will they play a close-to-near-perfect game the way they did in Buffalo in Kansas City? That's the big question mark, and that's what I mean by the same energy. Because you can't expect this team to come out to another 14 nothing lead and to play pretty much downhill defensively where they're going to have their ears pinned back to try to get to Mahomes, to try to thwart Travis Kelsey, to try to slow down that offensive firepower by the Chiefs. I could see this being a game where the Bengals may stub their toe here. You may see some sloppiness. You may see some turnovers, false starts, etc. to where we're going to have to see this Bengal team try to gut out a victory as opposed to having their feet up at some point in the second half the way they did last week in Buffalo. Now to the NFC side, for the road team, is the clock going to strike 12 on Brock Purdy? And here's what I'm going to say about that. As much as we're waiting for the other shoe to drop, as much as we're thinking Purdy, after being 7-0 and and being near perfect in his play throughout the course of him starting or relieving for Jimmy Garoppolo, remember he left in the first quarter in that regular season game against Miami, and since then the guy's been on a roll, and you just wonder, Is the glass slipper going to break? Is the pumpkin going to show up right before midnight? When is it all going to fall apart for one Brock Purdy? But as I mentioned on Monday, it's the system. Look at what Kyle Shanahan has devised for this 7th round Mr. Irrelevant pick in last year's draft to where he's been able to flourish. He's been able to thrive. He's not made the big mistake. Shanahan has not put him in situations where he's going to give up the big turnover. I mean, think about this. In the seven games that he's played in, he has not lost a fumble, and he's only thrown three interceptions. This is a guy who was the last pick in the NFL draft. How is that possible? I'm sure you could go back to Tom Brady's rookie year. He's had some miscues, he's had fumbles, he's had interceptions, this guy hasn't even lost a fumble yet, and Brock Purdy is not 6'6", 240 pounds, where he could just stand above the clouds and look downfield and throw a rocket pass on a dime 60 yards to Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, etc. This is a guy who is pretty much slight in build, probably barely six foot, although he's 6'1", doesn't have that rocket arm. He is accurate. And here he is in the NFL as if he's a top five pick. And how I look at it, can the clock strike 12 come Sunday, 3 o'clock in Philadelphia? Of course it can. Would I be surprised? Absolutely not. But I hate to say it. I would think that he's going to continue to play this way, even with an Eagle team that has 70 sacks and very good defensive personnel that unless he's just going to be beaten to a pulp, where he's going to be running for his life, where he's going to have that game where he's 14 for 31, 141 yards, one touchdown, and three picks. Can I see that? Of course I could, but we haven't seen it to this point. Why would that change all of a sudden? That's not to say Purdy's going to go 21 for 30, three touchdowns and a pick. I'm not saying that. 
But if you ask me right this second what kind of game he's going to have, I think he's going to have his usual 15 for 22, 178 yards, a couple touchdowns, maybe an interception. I could see him having that type of game. Because we all know with Kyle Shanahan, it's all going to be predicated on the run. It's all going to be predicated on trying to move the chains, long drives. Of course, Purdy's going to have to make some plays, but he's in situations where he's not 3rd and 15, 3rd and 12. He's usually 3rd and 4, 3rd and 6. Even 3rd and 7 is not bad in that offense because he's able to get Kittle in the seam or have a play where it's going to be a draw to Debo Samuel and at 3rd and 7, he's going to get 8 yards for a first down. That's how the Niner offense is built. And that's why Shanahan, when it comes to his offensive play calling and devising a plan, he's one of the best in the sport. As far as him being a great coach yet, pump the brakes. He's on his way. But offensively, as far as, as I mentioned, him calling plays, one of the best. But now we have to see that with Purdy and whether or not he's going to continue his steady, if not, Spectacular play? Or is it all going to bottom out by the time we get to around 6 p.m. Sunday evening? And then for Philadelphia, you got to look at Jalen Hurts. He's had an MVP year, and he's up for MVP to go along with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Jefferson, one of the three finalists. Chances are he may be the regular season MVP. I could see maybe a Mahomes because they had the best record, also a number one seed. And for Mahomes, he's already did it once before. Maybe they think Jalen Hurts still has plenty of career left to get another MVP. But that's beside the point. But we saw how Hurts perform there against the Giants last Saturday night. We know he's had a big regular season, and he certainly surprised me as far as him not being an MVP candidate, but playing this well. When we just looked at a year ago, granted that he was pretty much for all intents and purposes a rookie in the league, but he was just awful in that playoff game against Tampa. Now, we understand Tampa was a lot better, and Jalen Hurts was pretty much just getting his feet wet, but a year later, the guy's one of the best quarterbacks in the sport. I understand you're not going to put him in the likes of Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, maybe even Justin Herbert. I get it. But at least for 2022, just this one year, people, I'm not saying you're going to take him number one if he was a guy that you had a team you're going to draft. Of course not. You're going to look at those aforementioned guys. But Hurts for this year, how could you argue it? The guy has been well above anybody that has ever imagined or even expected of how he's performed that quarterback this year. And I think for him, against that defense against that pass rush and even though we know that he could run with the best of them and he could be elusive escape the pocket run for yardage you know they're going to have a spy on him whether it be Fred Warner or somebody else but here's a guy that we're going to see front and center him try to play at that MVP level against a team and against a defense that is going to be hungry, knowing that this is the third year in the last four that they've been in this spot. Once they made the Super Bowl, last year we know they lost to the Rams, and now they got another chance to get back to a Super Bowl against a guy who's trying to get there for the very first time in what has been a decorated year for the Eagle quarterback. And obviously a lot's going to be on the line, and a lot's going to be on his shoulders to deliver this team for a trip to Glendale, Arizona two weeks from the Sunday. And I think anything short of that, especially in that city with those fans, it may be a lot to ask, but it's going to be a long winter if he doesn't deliver. And I understand it doesn't completely fall on his shoulders, but we all know if you don't get good quarterback play, you're not winning a Super Bowl. And because he's one step away, as we all know, He's got to get through one more hurdle before he could decompress and then get ready for the biggest game of his life. But right now, this is the biggest game. And I'm sure there's a ton of pressure on him knowing that the team on the other side is seasoned, 
They've been down this road before, and a majority of the players, especially on that defense and that team, knows what it takes to get to a Super Bowl. So how Hurts is going to perform here is going to be enormous. And I mentioned about the road teams in these spots. We know both of these road teams can win. No surprise. We saw Cincinnati do it just last year. San Francisco, in the year that they went to the Super Bowl, remember they beat the Green Bay Packers at home. And that was the last time that both home teams won to get to a Super Bowl. That was the year that Kansas City beat Tennessee. But when we take a look, just in the last four or five years, scenario last year with the Bengals winning in Kansas City, the year before, Tampa winning in Green Bay. Obviously, that was the year they won the Super Bowl. Both the Patriots and the Rams won in the year. I understand the pass interference that wasn't called on the Rams. That was the Saint game, if you remember, down the Superdome. So it's not impossible that one of these two teams or both teams could win on the road to meet up in a Super Bowl. And as we get to the games itself, you have a scenario where Charles Amenahu, the defensive lineman earlier this week, was arrested on suspicion of a domestic incident with his girlfriend. He's actually going to play in the game, which could be controversial. The report had it that he pushed his girlfriend to the ground. There weren't any visible injuries or anything that was of notice to where maybe Omenahu could have been detained. Now, she also declined medical attention, so that's another thing. So even if that was a situation where it wasn't felonious, but it was a misdemeanor, all right, I guess he's going to have to deal with that at some point. So he's going to play in the game. But for a Niner team, as I mentioned, been down this road before, knows what it takes to win this game, coming off the heels of last year where they should have won the game, let's face it, if Jaquiski Tart would have just been able to catch a pop-up, a can of corn from the arm of Matthew Stafford when the game was tied at 14, they would have been able to march down the field, kick a field goal, and they would have been in the Super Bowl. I understand... We could say this for just about any NFL game, but because of these two guys, the youngest at their positions to play in a conference title game, the aforementioned Purdy and Jalen Hurts, to me, that's what it's going to boil down to. You would think these defenses are going to be ready to go. I would think field position is going to be critical in this game. I think the... Offenses who, as we all know, they can march down the field because they have potent running games and threats in the passing game as well. But you would think that field position is going to be key, whether you start at the 17-yard line or your average start is at the 31, that's a world of difference. Because this game could come down to a field goal. And 8 plays, 80 yards, or 12 plays, 91 yards... Those drives may be few and far between in this game. So the quarterback, they're going to have to make a play. And you can't predict pick sixes or fumbles deep in Niner territory or Eagle territory. Those you can't forecast. It's easy to say, chalk, go with the team at home. I think the Niners have a better roster. I think they have a more accomplished roster. How about that? Because when you look at both sides of the ball, the Eagles, they're just as good as the Niners. And I'm not trying to say because they have a more of accomplished roster that that means that they're better than the Eagles. But I think with Jalen Hurts in the year that he's had, and despite a lot of the pressure coming into this game and the opponent, I think that there's just going to be a little bit of magic on that sideline for them to prevail in this game. And it's going to be close. And I would not be surprised if it comes down to a field goal. I think Brock Purdy is going to have that typical steady game. I don't think he's going to light the world on fire by any stretch. And I don't even think he's going to implode. In fact, I'd even be shocked if he does. And when I mean implode, I'm saying having that real bad game. I mean, if he throws a pick early on, he plays his usual steady self. That's typical. 
if he has that 14 for 31, no touchdowns, three picks, that's the bad game. I think it's going to be Eagles 20, Niners 17. I think it's going to be hard to come by when yards, yes, I'm sure the offenses will have their moments, but this is going to be a street fight. This is going to be tooth and nail. This is going to be scratch and claw. And generally when you have a game like that with two good defenses, that's what your final score is going to be. Just look at the Dallas-San Francisco game. Dallas, as we all know, they have a stout defense. Of course, the Niners do. And what was the final score of that game? Why would this game be any different? And as far as the AFC Championship game goes, you just wonder... Did the Bengals peak after that game last week? That's why I talk about same energy. I understand they're not going to go in there and just run roughshod or run up and down the field against a chief team who, this defense isn't the 85 Bears. They have talent. They're good. But they can be thrown on and they can be run on. But will the Bengals be able to match anything close to what they did when they went to Buffalo last week. And I think that's going to be important. Because I'm sure in the back of their minds, as well as they played against them, and them having three victories, not to say they're going to go in like a days ago, not to say they're going to say, oh yeah, we got this, whatever. But I wouldn't be surprised if they get punched in the mouth early, similar to what they did last year. And although they came from behind, and they made adjustments, and they won the game. Can't discredit that. But you wonder if they're maybe just a little bit too cocky a little bit too over the moon to the point where, oh, it doesn't matter. We could be down 21 nothing. We could be down two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. We got this. And then the next thing you know, the clock isn't their friend anymore. It's their enemy. And they're down by 10, and it's three minutes to go, and Joe Burrow is at midfield knowing that he has to get into the end zone and maybe an onside kick if they only have one timeout left and a two-minute warning. You get where I'm coming from. It's all about Mahomes' ankle here. And we're going to see the type of heart he has. And that's not the question, his heart, by any stretch. And I understand everybody's picking the Bengals. So generally, because of his health and not knowing how it's going to respond, everybody's going to lean for the Bengals to win this game. I still have to pick Cincinnati, though. I just think that this team, I'm not going to say they're on a mission because that's just like the easy, basic, and... Just, I don't want to say vanilla thing to say. Oh, this team's on a mission. Look what they've done. Five and one. No, 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 no. But this team is playing with purpose. And that's what I saw last week. And I could even get a sense of that this coming week. And it all starts, not with the coach, not with their defense, their quarterback. Their quarterback's the guy to say, "Uh uh-uh. My team, I'm carrying you on my shoulders. We're getting to the promised land, and we're going to try to finish this thing in two weeks in Glendale. Bengals 27, Chiefs 21. And I think the best Super Bowl matchup is in this order. Cincinnati-San Francisco, when you think historically, you go back to Super Bowl 16 and Super Bowl 23. KC San Francisco, that's a rematch of the game just, what, three years ago. KC Philadelphia, Andy Reid versus his old team. Cincinnati Philadelphia, which could be the matchup. And I think that's last, not because of Philadelphia has nothing to do with them and people out of Philly may think, oh, well, why are Philadelphia in the back end of those when they're just as good as the Niners, etc. It's nothing against the team. It's just the matchup. It's just... I'm sure if you ask Fox, who's going to do the game this year, I'm sure they would make a case for Cincinnati-San Francisco, obviously with the Bengals being there last year and the Niners being the Niners, Casey-San Francisco, which ironically the last time it was on Fox, those are the two teams that played. Casey-Philly, Andy Reid makes a big part of that because obviously he coached there for so many years, and then Cincinnati-Philadelphia, which may be the better game out of all, but... Obviously, we're going to have to wait and see how it all shakes down. I think no matter what the matchup is, everybody's going to watch. 100 million are going to tune in. 
And probably even more because everybody's going to wait for halftime to see Rihanna because she hasn't performed in God knows how long. And who knows if she's going to play a new song or whatever. And that's going to be a spectacle at halftime, as we all know. So that is your Championship Sunday in a big, giant nutshell. Looking forward to it. Can't wait to watch it. And we'll break it all down on Monday's podcast when that time comes. All right, let me turn my attention to the hardwood as I lace up my high tops to get into what's happening in the association first. I'm going to start off with LeBron James because now the watch is on as far as him eclipsing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the all-time scoring champ, not in the season, but throughout a career. As of right this minute, he is 158 points behind Kareem. And now that the Lakers will start a road trip here on the East Coast, Saturday in Boston, your Saturday showcase on ABC, before coming to the Big Apple to play Brooklyn and the Knicks back-to-back before them going to Indiana, which could be if he averages 45 points a game over the next few, and even more than that when you think about it, because now he's, what, 158, so he's going to have to have monster games. It's not going to happen here in New York. The date where it looks like he's going to eclipse Abdul-Jabbar is looking like February 4th in New Orleans. Because, as I mentioned, after they leave New York... Monday, Tuesday, it's Indiana, next Thursday, and then Saturday, the 4th, will be in New Orleans, which looks like the target date as to when he'll pass Kareem. And I remember as a boy, it was against the Utah Jazz, and it was actually, the game was played in Las Vegas. I don't know why it was, to be honest with you, and again, that was a long time ago when he did that, but Kareem eclipsing that, and now you have almost full circle where you have LeBron in a Laker uniform and him about to break that record, which I get it. It's not a home run record. It's not an esteemed record. Of course, in the sport of basketball it is, but in the sports consciousness, when you think about all-time scoring leader in NBA history, yes, you do think of Kareem, but you don't know what the exact number is. Baseball, you knew that Babe Ruth, 714, when Hank Aaron broke it, 715 was that magic number. Barry Bonds, we understand, disgraced with the steroids, etc. So it's almost an afterthought. All-time leading rusher, NFL history, Emmitt Smith, but you don't know what the number is. I believe it's 18,355 yards, somewhere around there. But a lot of these numbers in sports doesn't resonate as much, and we don't know baseball is the quote-unquote national pastime. But knowing that LeBron is on the verge of breaking this, And again, I'm not trying to throw bouquets at LeBron. I've done that before. And everybody knows I'm not a Laker fan. Far from it. And of course, I am a LeBron fan from the standpoint of what he's done throughout the course of his career. And when he's long gone, everybody's going to miss him. And that is not a hot take by any stretch. That's just going to be a fact. But with that being said, in about nine days, he's going to be the guy on the top of the mountain all time scoring in NBA history, which we may never see, at least in my lifetime, because it's taken, what, 38 years since Kareem broke Wilt's record? So it may be another 38 before whomever else is probably not even born yet when you think about it, or is four or five years old dribbling in his backyard somewhere, where we may see this milestone broken again. So when you have these type of moments in history, and I understand it's not the overall home run record, 762, when we saw Albert Pujols hit his 700th home run in Dodger Stadium, but 700 home runs, we haven't seen that in 15, 16 years, 17 years when Bonds did it. And I understand it's tainted, etc., but when you have moments like this in sports, not only do you cherish it, but you also have to acknowledge it. If you're the big sports fan, the casual sports fan, all right, maybe, maybe not. But if you follow sports the way I do, this is something that you have to pay attention to and it's on your radar because who knows when we're ever going to see the likes of something like this ever happen again. So I just wanted to put that out there as we're getting closer to that to keep it on everybody's radar. So when the time comes, of course, we'll get into it whenever he breaks it. As far as the league overall, 
Last night you had a very hotly contested game in Philadelphia between the Nets and Sixers. First time Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons going at it, and it was pretty much from the start. The Sixers winning 137-133. Kevin Durant, his progress looks like he could be back, maybe even before the All-Star break. I'm sure the Nets are going to want him to take it easy to slowly but surely and gradually get back into playing shape, into form, because we all know with the Nets, it's about winning a championship. It's not about him rushing back, although the Nets have not played well here during this stretch, but it's all about getting Durant healthy, raring to go, and not trying to force him back in, and not say all likelihood that for him to get injured again, but the last thing you want is for him to be out two months or a longer stretch than the past month with his knee injury that he suffered a few weeks back. So with the Nets and Sixers, I know we've been down that road before when Ben Simmons went to Philadelphia the first time around a couple of months back, but first time against Embiid, and we all know there's no law of loss between those two guys, and downplayed in the post game where Embiid said, hey, I want to kill all my opponents. It's not just Simmons. So we all know that they took the high road when it came to that, so... Pretty much no harm, no foul there. Anthony Davis came off the bench in his return last night. Had 21-12 and 12 as the Lakers beat the Spurs. I know big whoop, it's the Spurs. But as I've said a thousand times, and I'll say it one last time, not to get you guys sick or nauseous over it, but if Anthony Davis stays healthy, the Lakers can go places. Does that mean they're going to go to a championship and win? No. Does that mean that they're going to go to a conference final? Absolutely not. But they're not going to be wallowing underneath the 7-10 through 10 range in the Western Conference to where they're going to be scratching and clawing and fighting just to get into the playing tournament and hope that they could go on a run and maybe win a round and get to the second round and you pretty much toss your chips from that point on. Now we understand if you're the Lakers, it's not about making it into the playing tournament or winning a round or two. It's all about winning the championship as we know. But considering that they have faltered all year long, and have not been able to get in any type of groove, and even though they're a game back in the race for the 7-10 through playing tournament spots, they still have two teams ahead of them, albeit a half a game, but there's a lot of work to be done there for the Lakers if they want to have any relevancy, if they want to have any shot of making some noise in the postseason, and if Davis is healthy, at least they have that shot. Without him, forget it. And while I'm on the subject of the Lakers, today is the third year anniversary of the untimely and tragic passing of a one Kobe Bryant. And I remember where I was, you could go back in the archives to check that podcast, and it happened the day before I did the podcast, and that's when I was doing it weekly. So as untimely as that was, to pretty much spill my emotion, my thoughts on how it all took place, you could go back. And listen to that, it's at the very opening of the podcast, so if you want to go back and hear that, please feel free and do so, but I remember where I was, and everybody knows I'm a Celtic fan, I couldn't stand Kobe Bryant as a player, and how could you not, but I knew how great he was, I knew that he was a force to be reckoned with, all-time great, all the accolades that he deserves, but I never thought that his passing and how the mama mentality, his work ethic, how everything that we saw when he was alive and when he was a player, but how that is a lasting memory and how that has stuck with me more that he's no longer here, I never thought it would get to a point where, not that I have this mama mentality, but my point is is that when you're down in the dumps or you need that extra pep, that motivation, And we all know it's about discipline, people. But when you don't want to put on your running shoes that particular day because it's cold out or because you just don't feel like it, when you think of Kobe Bryant, that's when you say to yourself, no, let me lace up these shoes because I know when I'm done, I'm going to feel better. And that's what he was all about. And he, to this day, sorely missed. Just, oh, just terrible. And I wanted to bring that up to acknowledge him wherever he may be. His spirit is everlasting. And I just wanted to throw that in the mix as well. NBA is pretty much the same. I know the Pelicans have hit a tailspin though. 
losing six in a row and Willie Green gets ejected there in a game. So a lot of the frustration, a lot of the ebbs and flows of a regular season have now hit the Pelicans to the point where Zion now looks like he's going to be on the shelf for another couple of weeks. And that's the thing with Zion, you just don't know about his health. When he's in the games or when he's healthy, he's a dominant force, but that's the thing. When he's healthy. And it's more if than when in the landscape when it comes to this season or his career. So hopefully he gets back sooner than later. And the Pelicans are certainly going through it right now as they drop to fourth and now eight games back of the top spot. And it looks like they're going to be somewhere in the middle of the pack when it comes to the Western Conference. And the East, pretty much still the same there. I know the Sixers have played well, winning six in a row, and they're starting to creep up there in the standings. Celtics have lost their last two, including to the Magic after winning nine in a row. They lost to the Magic again. Third straight time this year, and they were one and three against them. And they lost to the Heat there on Tuesday night. So let's see if they could lick their wounds and get ready for a game on Saturday against the Lakers, as I talked about earlier. But... Before that, they have a game against the Knicks tonight. So we'll see how they fare at home against the Knicks, who have played pretty well this year, although they've been up and down. Right now, they're currently 7th in the Eastern Conference, so we'll continue to monitor that as the NBA season continues to trudge along. As I shift my attention to the National Hockey League, as I lace up my skates, and I know I've been talking about them week in, week out, podcast in, podcast out, twice a week, I cannot avoid how this team has performed here in 2022-2023. This team has not gone into any type of losing streak. They have not gotten into any type of tailspin. Ebbs and flows, it's been all trajectory peaks, ebbs, as high as you could possibly get. The team is a juggernaut. And I'm going to call them out here the week before the All-Star break. I thought about waiting a week to even discuss this, but I said, you know what? Let me touch on this now because they are on a pace. You ready for this, people? They are on a pace for 140 points, which would be the most in National Hockey League history, and 66 wins, which is also would be an NHL best. Those records were held by the 76-77 Montreal Canadiens when they had 132 points. And then the 95-96 Red Wings and the 2018-2019 Tampa Bay Lightning, both of those teams had 62 wins. And if you remember, the latter were swept in the first round by the Columbus Blue Jackets. And everybody thought, what a bunch of frauds the Lightning were. Well, what did they do to follow up that historic regular season and then get swept out of the postseason? only making it to three straight cup finals, winning the first two back-to-back. So they showed who was boss after getting swept and exacting their revenge on that embarrassment in that first round back in 2019. The Boston Bruins, if you're on a pace to have 66 wins and 140 points, anything short of a Stanley Cup, and I don't care if they go to a seventh game and they win in 20 overtimes, as long as they're the last team standing, this season will be a major disappointment. How could it not? And I know I mentioned this last week or maybe even on Monday briefly, but when I really looked into the numbers and I really looked to say, wait a minute, this team hasn't hit the All-Star break. I know it's more than halfway past the regular season, but they've won six in a row. They've lost one home game this year. They've lost five games overall out of 47. I had to pause and say, wait a minute, what's going on here? And if I had to project how the season is going to turn out based on the way they played and their pace and comparing it to teams of the past, the 76-77 team that won a Stanley Cup that was in the middle of a dynasty winning four straight during that time with some of the best players that the sport has ever seen, Guy Lafleur, Larry Robinson, Ken Dryden and Nett, Yvonne Cornier, shall I continue? And I don't know what else to say about this Bruin team. I'm going to have to shut up because, as I mentioned before, every time I get on the podcast, it's the Bruins continue to win. It's another win streak. Here they are, now at 80 points, 85, 
90. What is it going to stop? They're at 80 points as of right this moment. And the team is absolutely steamrolling through this regular season. What more else can I say? They by far have been the story on the ice this year. I don't care about the Hurricanes. Obviously the Devils hot start has been out to sea. And although they've been playing well. I know Colorado now seems to get their mojo back. They've won six in a row. I talked about that on Monday with Nathan McKinnon being back in the fold. I know I mentioned even now Seattle. We talked about them two weeks ago and what they've done. They had that road trip where they won seven in a row. We haven't seen that in NHL history. Golden Knights tied for first there out in the Pacific. Edmonton, who I know they won six in a row and we're trying to get Connor McDavid again to be a guy that could finally push his team and will his team to get to a cup and maybe win a cup final. But this season, it's all about the Bruins. There's no other team that has come close. And I'm not even going to talk about point totals and anything like that, but the team is a juggernaut. And I understand there's a lot different angles I could go into and discuss about how the NHL and what certain players and teams have done this year, but uh uh-uh, it's all about the Bruins. And yes, we could talk about the injuries that have happened throughout the league. Tristan Jarry's going to be out after the All-Star break for the Penguins, their goaltender. And the Penguins, we talk about Evan Flows. They were a team that lost seven in a row, then they won seven in a row. Uh Uh-uh, it's not about them. It's not about the Rangers. The Islanders are talking about a tailspin. Lost six in a row. Everybody's now calling for Barry Trotz to come back. I mean, it's been a disaster on the island here over the last couple of weeks. But, again, no other storyline, no other team, no other angle can compete to what the Boston Bruins have done. And let's see if they can continue to do it. All right, two more quickies before I sign off. I know I didn't talk about the college basketball. I should have mentioned that. Segwaying right after the NBA. College basketball, Purdue is now your new number one. Alabama number two. We talked about it the other day with both Houston and Kansas losing in surprising fashion at home. Kansas against TCU. Houston against Temple of all teams. And Georgetown break up the Hoyas as they finally snap their Big East Losing streak where they lost 29 in a row going back to March 2021 to when they won the Big East Tournament. I mean, think about that. It's been almost two years since they won a Big East matchup. So kudos to them as they beat the poll the other day by five. But I have an interesting question when it comes to college basketball, and I'm going to talk about that next week once we get past the football. I'll save it for a week from today once we get into the month of February. So for the college basketball fan, don't worry. I'm not trying to put you on ice, but I have a... Not a good question, but a fascinating one when it comes to the sport, and I'll save that for next week, so just put that in the back of your mental Rolodex as I will bring that up a week from today. The Australian Open, for the men's side, it's going to be Novak Djokovic. I mentioned this on Monday. Obviously, no Nadal. Kasper Ruud is out. I know Stefano Sissipas. He's a guy that maybe, just maybe, could be a threat. Chances are it's not going to be the case, but where we have a scenario where it's going to be Djokovic and it's going to lead into the French Open come spring where hopefully Rafael Nadal will be 100% because when, I'm not even going to say if, when Djokovic wins, and maybe I just threw a reverse jinx on him, the Australian Open, he'll have 22 Grand Slam men's singles tournament wins and he'll be going up against Nadal with the same number in Nadal's favorite surface, the clay, is going to make for fascinating theater when that time comes and hopefully it does play out to where both of those are going to be matched up in a final not in a semi-final or a quarterfinal like we saw last year but in the final altogether so just keep that in mind and then you had Victoria Azarenka beat Elena Rybakina Azarenka who ousted Jessica Pagula now we're gonna have to wait and see what the final is gonna be like because with Azarenka beating Rybakina and then you have Arena Sabalenka going up against Magda Lynette. As of right to second, I don't know what the match has been. It already could be over for all I know. But that's going to be a women's side with Coco Goff losing the other day. And Goff, we were hoping, and even Pagula for that matter, as far as the American side, to maybe make a push to see if they could get to a Grand Slam final and win their first ever Grand Slam tournament. Not going to happen this time around. So now we're going to have a situation where Azarenka 
may be your favorite to win the women's side of the Australian Open. And of course, I'll recap that come Monday. Now, let me roll up my sleeves here because I'm going to conclude with this. And I figured let me go out like a lion here when I discuss the baseball with Scott Rowland. And I know there's a couple other things that happened in the sport. I'm going to get to more of that on Monday because to me, this is all about Scott Rowland. And I get it. Artie Moreno wants to sell the team at one point, but now he reneged and he's going to withdraw from selling the team. I'll save that on Monday, as well as Mike Clevenger with this accusation, domestic violence, not only to his wife, but child abuse to his kids. That's a whole other set of encyclopedias. I'll touch on that Monday as well. To me, this was all about what took place with the baseball writers voting Scott Rowland into the Hall of Fame to go along with Fred McGriff, which was voted by the Contemporary Committee, 16 players, executives, former players at that, voting in McGriff, okay, fine, we know he's borderline, whatever, okay, but now these are the baseball writers. Before you think I have it out for Scott Rowland, I do not, I got nothing personal, but let me preface it by saying this is business, okay, this is all about what we saw, Scott Rowland on the field, day in, day out, 17 years, etc. Now, I'm not going to go through his entire back of the baseball card, But this is what I'm going to say as far as some of the bullet points when it comes to Scott Rowland. 17 years in the major leagues. Was he a great third baseman? Well, he won eight gold gloves, so that certainly, he's got that covered. Okay, fine. He won Rookie of the Year. Okay. Was he a good offensive player? 2,077 hits, 316 home runs, 1,200 some odd RBIs, lifetime batting average 281. Good offensive player. Postseason player, I believe he batted, what, 274 in the postseason? Fine. Didn't light the world on fire, but didn't spit the bit either. This is where we draw the line. Last I checked, the Hall of Fame was not for the good, was not for the very good. The Hall of Fame was for the great, but even more so, the elite and the dominant. And the crazy thing is, it's not an insult if you're not called a Hall of Famer. It's not. Because again, great, elite, dominant. So for anybody today, and I know there's a vast majority that's in my camp that think and believe Scott Rowland is not a Hall of Famer. And understand there's other people that will say, ah, Jay Reels, you're babbling away. Nobody cares about what you have to say. Or you know what? Just congratulate the guy. Give him his just due and that's it. How could I give a guy his just due when, and let's just look at the third baseman before him that are in the Hall of Fame. Mike Schmidt, 520 some odd career home runs and he had a ton of gold gloves on his mantle. Brooks Robinson, Mr. Gold Glove. What do you have? 16? 18-time All-Star? And that was another thing I forgot to mention. Scott Rowland was a seven-time All-Star. And one top five MVP voting in 17 years. Let me throw that in the mix too. Brooks Robinson. Also won an MVP, I might add. 18-time All-Star. 16-time Gold Glove winner. George Brett. One of the most clutch players you could ever see. And even though the strikes shortened season of 94 where Tony Gwynn batted 394... In a full season, George Brett, 1980, batted 390. Wade Boggs batted 328 lifetime. Won a zillion batting titles. I think off the top of my head, I think he maybe won six. Good glove at third. Chipper Jones, at least in this generation. Switch hitter, hit what, 460 home runs? Won an MVP in 99. Also won a World Series. Was dominant as well. I understand not a guy that maybe jumps off the page like Mike Schmidt, Wade Boggs, George Brett, etc. But when you look at his career, oh no, Hall of Famer. Scott Rowland, here's a guy that in his first year of eligibility got 10.2% in 2018, just five years ago. Now all of a sudden he gets 76.4%? How did he exponentially get 66% in five years for him to all of a sudden be a Hall of Famer? Are we serious? 
And I understand the argument. You can look at a guy like Jeff Kent who had eight 100 RBI seasons, won an MVP in 2000, and on top of that, had the most home runs hit by a second baseman in the history of the sport. And he got $46.5 million. Why? A lot of that because he was probably a jerk and most likely he was an idiot and a jerk to the media. And it was a guy that was very sullen and moody, etc. So, of course, the baseball writers are going, ah, I'm not voting for that guy. Yet they vote Roland, a guy who was in the top five of MVP once. He's in the Hall of Fame. And I'm sure Roland, if you gave him truth serum, he has to be, I didn't think I was going to get it. And, of course, he's not going to throw it back. Of course, he's not going to give up the opportunity for the rest of his life to be at memorabilia, card shows, etc., where he could write or sign his name, Scott Rowland, hashtag HOF, Hall of Fame. But here we are in an era where we're just letting everybody in. Opening up the floodgates, sure, come on in. Craig Biggio, Harold Baines. I understand that was the executive committee or the contemporary committee. I get it. But this guy in the Hall of Fame, one more time, the great, the elite, the dominant. Is that in the same sentence as Scott Rowland? Sorry, not in my eyes. And then when you look at a guy, I don't want to pick on him either, but I got to throw this in there. Todd Helton. Everybody thinks, oh, he should be a Hall of Famer. He's still with one team. Big numbers in Colorado, which we all know are skewed. And I get it. Larry Walker made it into the Hall of Fame, but he was a borderline also. But he did win an MVP. He did put up big numbers. But I would think he's more deserving than a guy like Todd Helton. Because his splits, and I won't even go down that road, but let me just throw one thing at you with Todd Helton. He got 72% of the vote, and he missed it by 3%. I went to look at his numbers, and yes, he has big numbers, but the one big season he had was in 2000. Let me read this off to you. You ready for this? He led the National League in hits, doubles, RBIs, batting average, on-base, slugging, OPS, and total bases. Eight categories. And guess what? Was he an MVP that year? Was he in the top three? No, he had to have won the MVP if he was had all these big-time numbers and led in eight categories. He was fifth in 2000. Who was number one that year? Jeff Kent. Need I say more? They're just letting everybody in. It's, it's a disgrace. And it's not just baseball. It's all the sports. Basketball's a joke. NFL, which is going to come down, I believe, next weekend. We're going to wait and see who's going to be in the Hall of Fame, who's not. I know there are a couple of locks. Darrell Rivas, Joe Thomas. I think that they're going to be locks to get into Canton. But you know there's going to be one or two. You're going to be like, what? And with Roland, it was definitely, what? I don't know what else to say. And I'm not picking on a guy. I get people are probably saying, Jay Reels are too harsh. So come on. Ease up, whatever. I saw Scott Rowland play. Good player. Very good player. Was he, again, last time, and I'll shut up. Was he great? Was he elite? Was he dominant? Need I say more? That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about the books. Thank you so much. Your participation is never taken for granted for you jumping on board to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. As I mentioned at the very top, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. They'll go a long way into increasing the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. So if you haven't done so, please, I appreciate if you do. If you want to hit me up on any of my socials, you could do so on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One, just a number. If you want to hit me up with a question, comment, or suggestion, you could do so at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. Lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy.com, slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth is going to go 100% to the production of this podcast, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, etc., to make this experience into this microphone to your earbuds or speakers that much more enjoyable, pleasurable, etc. Because whether you do or do not know, if you couldn't tell just based on the last segment, this is what I love to do, people. This is what I love to talk about. Sports is in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say. And I'm not going anywhere as long as I'm alive and breathing. 
So deal with it, people. So whether you're a first-timer, just heard about me recently, just got on board, been around for a while, or go back to the very beginning, I'm your guy. Who else in one hour is going to cover all these sports, is going to come out with the fire, passion, energy, fury, with hot takes, opinions, analysis, critiques, praises on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>